Brilliant. Thanks, Alf. Uh, and as ever, do keep that open in front of you. And let's pray. Precious God, what riches there are in your word, and what riches and what wonders we're going to see today in these verses. Father, please help us by your spirit to grasp and to understand what these, what these verses mean. More than that, Lord, as we go away, would we make our home in them? They would comfort, encourage, and spur us on as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. See that little phrase in the middle of verse 28? God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. To paraphrase, a paraphrase one Christian writer, uh, they said, if you live inside this massive promise, your life is more stable and solid than Mount Everest. Nothing can blow you over when you're inside the walls of Romans 8, 28. Outside of Romans 8, 28 is confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Outside this promise, there are straw houses of drugs and alcohol and numbing TV and dozens of other futile diversions. Outside are a thousand substitutes for Romans 8, 28. But when you walk through the door of love into the massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8, 28, everything changes. You simply can't be blown away anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs your good and hardships is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. Within what? many would say, is the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, lies perhaps the greatest promise of the Bible. A promise that if we grasp, if we grab hold of, if we make our home within, has the power to completely transform and change the way that we, we view our circumstances and everything that goes on in our lives particularly those things which are difficult and painful. And so what I want us to do this morning is together step inside this wonderful promise, to see the scope of this promise, to see the, the beauty of this promise, and to see what a difference it makes. Many of, many of you will know this verse very well. It is a favorite. Um, I'd be... Uh, many, many of us are going to have it somewhere written around our house, on the fridge or, or wherever it may be. But truly, there are, are great wonders for us to see again in it. Uh, as a church, we've been working through Romans 8, uh, which is a, a letter that Paul had written to the church in Rome. And this chapter highlighting the rock-solid assurance Christians can have as God's children and the, the reason that assurance is so necessary is actually Paul spends quite a lot of chapter 8 talking about the suffering and difficulties that Christians are going to go through. And yet even in those times, Christians can have confidence in God. And as we head into this, this wonderful promise and promises that we are looking at today, Paul highlights to the church there and to us that, that this is something that the church knows, or at least they should know. 
Do you see how he begins in verse 28? And we know. And we know. So the, the first heading on your, your sheets there is know that for God's people, sentence we're going to work through, know that for God's people. You see, this is something that the people of God should know. It's something that he wants us to understand and grasp. But it's more than something he simply wants you to assent to, agree with. Something that you acknowledge. This is something that Paul wants you to know when you discover a lump. Or when you lose your job. Or when something, someone does something awful to you. Paul wants you to know. He wants you to know something, not about ourselves, but about God. Paul wants you to know that in all things, God works for good. That's that promise there in the middle of verse 28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Now before we get on to to that and exploring that particular promise again, Paul gives us a vital clarification. Because this is not a blanket promise for every single person in the world. Now, Paul emphasizes and and clarifies who this promise is for. And and he does so in two ways, which which sandwich the promise itself. And he does so from two perspectives, from our perspective and and God's perspective. So again, look, look at the beginning of verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, it is, this promise is for those who love God, who love the Lord Jesus, who treasure him, who trust him, who prioritize him, for those who love God. And I think Paul chose that word love carefully because I think it, it guards us slightly. He could have said something like, for those who serve God. Because of course, Christians do serve God. But if he said that, then you can end up seeing God almost a bit like a vending machine. If I just put in enough service, well, then God will do enough good for me. Now, God, God can't be fooled and mocked by those things. This is for those who love God. God can't be manipulated. That's it from, from our perspective, okay? So this promise applies to, Christi- to the Christians who, who love God. But actually, a Christian's love for God is a sign of God's work in them. So the, the end of the verse, the, the other bit of the bread in the sandwich, puts it from God's perspective. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's God's perspective. Those who love God are those who have been called by him. In his sovereign goodness, he calls Christians into relationship with himself. In our house, uh, with, with two young boys, there are different types of calling. There's, come here, come here, come here, and so on. There are many levels of the kind of calling. But there's also the calling of, come here, as you go over and you pick him up and bring them to yourself. And that's the kind of calling that Paul is speaking of here. It's the calling, it's the summons, but also doing everything necessary to bring you there himself. Christians are defined by loving God and being called by him. And this is who this promise applies to. 
those who've been called into a relationship with himself, who've been brought into a relationship with him, and those who love him. So know that for God's people, that this is who this promise applies to. And if this, that is you this morning, Paul wants you to know this. If that doesn't apply to you this morning, then please listen in and, and see what wonders there are for God's people. See what awaits for those who do come to the Lord Jesus and put their trust in him. But what is it that Paul wants us to know? Paul wants us to know the second point on your heading is that God is working for good in everything. Know that for God's people, God is working for good in everything. That's what the promise is. All things work together for good. God is at work. God is at work in our world. God is at work in your lives. Now that, the, the idea of God's sovereignty, his, his, his providence, him being at work in the, the events of life might, might be a mind-blowing and a new idea to you. It may raise questions, some of which I hope I'll answer through the rest of our time. But it is a truth which is found on every single page of the Bible, is that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's at work in our worlds. He's working all things out according to his plan and his purposes. Paul emphasizes that even in verse 28. Did you, did you know he says, Paul says, all things, all things work together for good. See, not only is God in charge of the big picture, he's in charge of the little picture too, the details. Every event. Every moment of your life, God is at work. In the pleasant and the happy and the joyful moments of life, but even in the dreadful experiences too. You see, uh, around these verses, and if you've been here regularly, you, you know that Paul has just been speaking of suffering, of difficulties, of hardships that we experience living in this broken world. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see troubles and hardships and pains and difficulties of various forms, again, which come upon God's people. And in the context of this suffering, Paul says, all things, even those things, even the groaning, the pain, the heartache, the trouble, all things work together for good. Again, with that in mind, just, just note that Paul isn't saying here that bad things won't, or painful and difficult things won't happen to you. He's not saying, look, if you're a Christian, if you've come to Christ and you've trusted in him, and his death on the cross, and if you believe in him, then painful and difficult things won't come to you. This isn't a, a promise of a giant roll of bubble wrap. that He's going to wrap you up in a big roll of, bub of bubble wrap to and keep you safe from every bump and scrape. Now he's, he's saying something bigger, better, more solid than that, and that all things God works together for good. And that is in the happy and pleasant. That's also in the hurtful and painful things. God is working those things for good too. You may have heard the, the illustration for this, which I think is a helpful one of, um, you know, like a, a Persian rug, Something like, my parents have one on the wall. Um, don't know. I guess you get to see the beauty rather than just trample all over it. But, but if you kind of Persian rug or something like that, well, if you look at the rug on, from underneath, it looks like utter chaos. It's a complete mess. It is very hard to spot and notice the picture 
and the good work. And you turn it over, ah, uh, yeah. Then you see it all come together so wonderfully and perfectly. And this here, I think, is a, a helpful illustration for, for what Paul's saying here, is that sometimes we cannot see the beauty of, of the complete picture. We see and experience the mess and the chaos and the loose ends and all those other things. But we know that actually one day we will see that the right picture, we'll see the other side. And that actually even in those chaos and mess, God is weaving together a, a perfect and beautiful picture on the other side. And again, just to emphasize that all things, that this is in the context of suffering, is that Nothing is beyond the overruling and overriding scope of the promise of this, of this promise. However bad a situation might look to you, know that God is working for good in it. But what does he mean by good? So I've kind of hinted that it doesn't mean he's going to wrap us up and protect us from everything. What does it mean that's good? Well, again, Paul isn't saying that God is going to work everything for your personal happiness and fulfillment. I'm sure we all can wonder at times, and particularly if we're experiencing those things, that how can an illness, how can a job loss, how can this depression or anxiety, how can this contribute to good? Well, I think verse 29 helpfully explains and clarifies what is this good that Paul is working for us. Have a look at it. For those whom he foreknew, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're going to unpack these, uh, verse, this verse in a, in a moment's time. But, but particularly see that the end goal, okay, what, what God is aiming for, what God is working for, is that, he, that we would be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that, Paul is, that God is working in every single Christian. God is work, at work in every single circumstance to change us and transform us more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. That will be fully and finally completed when we get to glory. That is the good that Paul is working, Paul is working, God is working. In every situation, he is transforming us into Christ-likeness, transforming us into the, the, the children of God, transforming us uh, that we would be Jesus' brother. And again, so we can see how not only in the good, but also in the, the painful and the difficult. Sorry, not only in the pleasant and, and happy, but also in the, the painful and difficult. God is working in all those things to transform a Christian to be like Jesus. But again, the, the question remains is, well, how can we be sure that we will get there? Sorry, before that, let me ask another question. How can we be sure that God is working for good, even in the painful and difficult and for us, we simply have to look no further than the Lord Jesus himself. What was Jesus' path? How did it end for him? It ended for him being rejected and beaten and mocked and being crucified and enduring the, the Father's wrath. And yet, 
God was working in those horrendous and painful and all those things for good. And let me ask you the next question again. But how, how do we know? How, how, how do we know that outcome is secure? How do we know that we are actually going to get there to be transformed into the image of Jesus fully and finally? Well, the final point on your handout there is, well, God is working for good in everything until he glorifies us, until he glorifies Christians. But let's work through, um, through, through verse 29 and 30 again, because Paul, um, as it were, draws um, links in a chain that all fit closely together. And it starts at the beginning of verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. So this is starting right back at the beginning. This is starting before the beginning. This is starting before the creation of the world. God foreknew a people. Now, now knowing in the Bible is um, not simply knowing about. So this is not God looking into the future going, okay, yeah, they will uh, trust in the Lord Jesus. So to know in the Bible is to, to love, to set your affection upon. And God did this before the creation of the world. He set his love upon people that he was going to save. He foreknew them. It's, it's a matter of personal relationship. So long before any one of us knew God, God knew us and set his love on us. And then how this works. So for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So you, the first link in the chain is foreknowing. Uh, he set his love on. And then the next one is, well, those whom he, he foreknew, he predestined predestined beforehand to determine the, the destiny. And, and again, we looked at it briefly already, but what is the destiny that God has ordained for his people? Well, it's that we should be in a Christian in this Christ-like family. And actually, again, even wonderfully, and don't, don't miss this, that even if this passage, which is so emphatically good for Christians and and lays out all the wonder and beauty that waits for us. Don't miss the fact that ultimately, again, still at its heart, this is for God's glory and the glory of the Lord Jesus. Again, did you see, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Why? Why is it that he's predestining all these people to be conformed to the image of his Son? In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Firstborn carrying the idea of... Um, uh, superiority of priority of first place. Actually, this so this Christ-like family with Jesus preeminent, Jesus as the highest. All these plans are, are not simply centered around you and me; they're centered around Jesus. So we have the first link in the chain. He he foreknows people. He sets his love upon people, and those whom he did that to, well, he predestines to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then he goes on in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also calls. Again, which we talked about earlier. That's the moment of conversion. When God reaches down and, uh, and calls you to himself, brings you into a relationship with yourself. And those whom he called, carrying on in verse 29, he also justified. Again, chronologically, this happens at the same time, but um, being justified is being made right in God's sight, is having that declaration of innocence. 
Not only is, is it not guilty, not only are all our sins, as it were, cleaned and dealt with by the Lord Jesus on the cross, but actually it's positive. It's not only not guilty, it's, it's innocent. As Jesus' perfect life is accounted to us, been justified. And those whom he, verse 30 again, those whom he justified, he also glorified. When that full and final, complete transformation is made, when every single Christian shares in the glory of Jesus that we saw a number of weeks back. And so certain is this event, so certain is this future event going to be that Paul writes it in the past tense. It's as good as done. So you see this, this, the, the links in the chain. For no, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Sometimes it's just been called the, the golden chain. And it's the golden chain because well, Paul has linked all these things together and there is no one going to be left behind. There, there is no one, nowhere that you can fall out of this chain. If you have been foreknown, you will be predestined. If you have been predestined, you have been predestined. If you have been predestined, um, you will be called. If you're called, you will be justified. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. And again, the certainty of that, if God has initiated this relationship before the creation of the world, how could anything stop it from running its full course? God's plan cannot fail. You might be feeling battered and bruised by the events of life. Maybe you're feeling worn out and weary in your Christian life. Here again, the certainty of this promise. That those God has started with, he will bring to the end. Those whom he has foreknew, they will be glorified. Keep clinging to the Lord Jesus and his completed work each and every day. And know this solid assurance of God's work. Paul wants us to know. Let's draw out some of the dots. Paul wants Christians to know this wonderful promise. And in fact, even if you're not a Christian, he wants you to know this promise. And he wants you to enjoy this promise and cause you to come to the Lord Jesus that you would enjoy this promise. God wants us to know that God is working all things for good. Every single thing that happens in our life, he is working for good, and he will continue to work for good until he glorifies us at the end. What a promise. What a promise that is. What comfort and confidence that works in us. And when those difficult times come, whether we're in them now or where they come later, walk into the solid walls of this promise. Make your home in this promise. Remember and delight in this promise. This promise that not only will God work things out eventually in the future, Not only will things be better in the future, but no, right now, here and now, even in this trouble and pain, God is working for good.
Suffering remains part of a Christian's life. It isn't something that disappears at the moment of conversion. Trouble and difficulty will be there. But know that actually even in this trouble, even in this pain, God is working for good. Know that, brothers and sisters, and live in that. Let me pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for this truth. Thank you for this commitment that you have to your people. Thank you for this chain that is unbreakable. There is no falling out of. Father, we pray particularly that in painful and difficult and hard and soft times of suffering, that you would help us to remember and cling to this promise, to, to make our home in it. That you would comfort us with these truths, that we would trust you in it. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.